Welcome to the Bible for My Ordinary Life podcast. My name is Alicia Parker, and I'll be your host. Now, I live a pretty ordinary life, but I really enjoy studying and teaching the Bible. If you're interested in what the Bible really means and how it can be applied to your everyday, perhaps ordinary life, then this podcast is for you. You see, I believe the Bible is more than just a collection of interesting stories. It's God's communication to humankind. It's a revelation about who he is and how we fit into the story he is telling. Even if we feel like our personal story is a little bit ordinary. The Bible includes 66 individual books, but with a unifying theme. God desires a relationship with us. So let's open the pages of God's Word together and discover what extraordinary truths He has for our lives. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in again as we begin our study in the fifth chapter in the book of Ephesians. Ever since we made the transition from chapter 3 to chapter 4, we have shifted from theology and doctrine to very practical teaching, and sometimes it can feel a bit like a long list of what not to do and what to do. But just like we talked about in our last episode, following Jesus is not about adhering perfectly to a list of acceptable behaviors and strictly avoiding a list of unacceptable behaviors. Following Jesus means you identify as one of his children and identity is supported by behavior. Now, this cause and effect, I believe, goes in one direction. Our identity in Christ should cause our behavior to reflect him. It's not the opposite. It's not that we earn our identity through our behavior. So as we again dip into a section with a lot of here's what to do and here's what not to do, let's keep in mind that these instructions are the effect of our salvation and our identity with Christ. They're not the cause. If you've been following along in this series, you know that Paul has used the phrase, therefore I urge you to walk, or a phrase very similar to that, to introduce sets of instructions to his readers. His first usages of this was back in chapter 4, verse 1, where he said, I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. And then later in chapter 4, he said, So I say this and insist in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And a few verses later, he said, Therefore, having laid aside all falsehood, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor because we are members of one another. Now, in chapter 5, we see a similar statement. So let's pick up chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And live in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But among you, there must not be either sexual immorality, impurity of any kind, or greed, as these are not fitting for the saints. Neither should there be vulgar speech, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, all of which are out of character, but rather thanksgiving. For you can be confident on this one thing, that no person who is immoral, impure, or greedy, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Okay, so we've heard Paul instruct his audience to live worthily, 
not to live in feudal thinking, to live speaking truth, and now to live in a way to imitate God. There are more of these phrases coming up, but for now, let's think about what it means to be imitators of God. Did you have someone you looked up to as a kid? Someone you wanted to be like? Did you try to imitate them? Or maybe it wasn't that you meant to imitate someone, but you spent so much time with them that you caught yourself saying things or making gestures that you knew you picked up from that person. For me, I had two great role models as parents. So when I found myself doing or saying something and it reminded me of my mom or dad, I was pleased that I was imitating them. But I also had some friends whose characteristics and habits I picked up that I realized weren't so great to have. I was imitating things I didn't even like when they did. One of the very first ways we learn as young babies is by imitating. It's how we learn language and social norms and body movement. We are creatures who imitate naturally. But Paul says we should intentionally imitate God. As a kid, it was easy to imitate my mom and dad because I lived with them. I ate meals with them. I went outside to play with them. I did household chores with them and all the normal things a typical family does. I saw them at their best and at their worst. I listened to how they talked to each other, how they reacted to good news or bad news, how they talked to their friends. But we don't live with a physical God in the 21st century. So to imitate him, we have to learn about him and spend time with him. And we do that by studying the Bible and spending time in prayer. We can also increase our understanding of God through other believers, sermons, books, and of course, podcasts. But to truly know him, to truly be able to imitate him, our most primary responsibility is to spend time with him, reading his word, praying, and listening. Now, these are hard habits to develop if you haven't done this consistently, And to be honest, it takes discipline and inner resolve, but I can assure you, the rewards are worth it. Knowing God is the greatest joy and adventure you will ever take. So Paul says, imitate God as dearly loved children. And we could spend the next hour discussing all the ways to imitate God as his dearly loved children. But let's actually move on to the specifics of what Paul says next. Verse 1 and 2 said, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Did you notice the word that's repeated three different times? It's the word love. I always like to point out things in the text that help us unpack the author's meaning. Repetition of words is one of those composition clues we talk about regularly. We repeat what we want to emphasize. Dearly loved children, live in love, just as Christ also loved us. The focus here is that imitation of God is rooted in his love. His love for us is the reason he gave himself for us. And Paul is just about to go into how we are to respond to this through certain behaviors and avoiding certain behaviors. But there is this phrase here I want to pull out and talk about. Verse 2 says, Christ loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Now, in previous episodes, we've talked about how Jesus is fully God, 
but that God has three distinct persons, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we see them fill different roles. And here we see that Jesus Christ gave himself as a sacrifice and a fragrant offering to God. Why would God need an offering? Let's take a quick trip back to the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve sinned and were banned from the garden. In chapter 4, we learn of their sons, Cain and Abel. And Abel offered God a pleasing offering. Cain did not. And out of his rage, Cain plots and murders Abel. And the word offering here means tribute or gift. And it probably wasn't so much the content of the gift that mattered, but the attitude of the giver. For whatever reason, God did not approve of Cain's offering. The word offering is used 194 times in the Old Testament. It describes a voluntary gift given with some measure of sacrifice. So when Paul says Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice, this type of action has been going on since the very first family. All through the Old Testament, we see rules about sacrifices and stories involving sacrifices of all different types for all different reasons. I don't have time today to get into the many, many details about sacrifices. So let's focus on this reference to Jesus' sacrifice here with the understanding that sacrifices were a very normal part of worship for Jews and Gentiles. Jesus' sacrifice was to satisfy God's requirement for sin to be paid for. So I'm bringing all of this up because what Paul is about to do is to go into some instructions about how not to live that are the exact opposite of this kind of mindset, this mindset of sacrificial love. Now let's take a look at verses 3 and 4. But among you, there must not be either sexual immorality, impurity of any kind, or greed, as these are not fitting for the saints. Neither should there be vulgar speech, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, all of which are out of character, but rather thanksgiving. Sexual immorality is the opposite of sacrificial love. Impurity is the opposite of sacrificial love. Greed is the opposite of sacrificial love. See where I'm going here? Paul sets out to say, imitate God as his dearly loved children, just as he sacrificially gave himself for you out of love. Do not engage in sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. And I'm certain the original recipients lived in a culture that approved of and even celebrated sexual immorality and a culture where impurity and greed were common, a culture much like ours. This list of what not to do includes common characteristics of those who do not follow Jesus. And Paul has said it time and time again, we are to live differently. Paul says it here, these things are not fitting for saints. Now, what's a saint? He's used that term before, back in chapter 2. He reminded his audience that as believers, they are saints in God's household. So don't think of saints as people more holy than you, or a title you get after death if your life was good enough. If you're a believer, you are a saint. Sexual morality, impurity, and greed are not fitting for you or for me. He then lists three more things, saying, Neither should you use vulgar speech, foolish talk, coarse jesting. They are all out of character for believers. Now, depending on your background and your habits, your personality, 
Some items in this list might not be a temptation issue at all for you, whereas other behaviors might be more of a struggle to master. So it's completely possible to be a believer and engage in vulgar speech from time to time, right? Our status as saints doesn't make us perfect. We still sin. But that does not cancel our salvation. It's possible to be a believer and have to confess greed or sexual immorality. And it might happen more than once. It doesn't cancel your salvation. But if we live our lives characterized by these things, if we have an attitude in a heart that accepts these attributes and behaviors as normal and permissible, we have an issue. And the next verse says, For you can be confident of this one thing, that no person who is immoral, impure, greedy, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And that's a really harsh statement if you take it out of context and just read it on its own. But as we've gone through this whole letter and now this chapter, what we see is a constant back and forth comparison and contrast of believers and unbelievers. So this statement applies to unbelievers, people who are characterized by this lifestyle because they have not committed their lives to Christ. Nearly all of chapter two set the stage for this. This is why it's so important that we don't just open our Bible and read a random verse and assume we can take it at face value. We have to understand that the original author, the original audience, what was said before it and what is said after it to fully appreciate the intention of the verse. Now, speaking of what comes after it, the next couple of verses also give several don't do's and another comparison of those who are believers and those who aren't. So let's go ahead and read verses 6 through 14. Let nobody deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, God's wrath comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be sharers with them. For you were at one time darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live like children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For the things they do in secret are shameful even to mention. But all things being exposed by the light are made visible. For everything made visible is light. And for this reason it says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Okay, so Paul continues with the don't do's and a warning to not be deceived by empty words. There may be people who try to convince you that all these things listed so far aren't so bad. A little coarse joking or a little greed. And what's really the big deal about sexual ethics? All of this leads to deception and that leads to disobedience. And Paul wants them to remember, once you were darkness, but now you are light. I'm not sure if you caught that when I read the verses, but Paul doesn't say they were in darkness and now they're in light. He says they were darkness, and they now are light. The same is true for us. We are light. And Paul says the light produces fruit. Goodness, righteousness, truth, trying to learn what pleases the Lord. These are the characteristics, the result of living as light. And these sound like wonderful things. And probably if asked, you would say you want to live a life of goodness, righteousness, and truth. I do. 
let's be honest, goodness, righteousness, complete truth, those are actually really hard adjectives to apply to every aspect of our lives. We are not naturally good. We are not naturally righteous. We are not naturally truth tellers. We have to be instructed, reminded, and encouraged to live this way. We were once darkness. And it can be so easy to slip back into that mindset and lifestyle if we aren't careful. Paul then goes on to say, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For the things they do in secret are shameful even to mention, but all things being exposed by the light are made visible. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness is a really nice catch-it-all phrase, isn't it? Paul reminds me of a really wise parent who says, look, you shouldn't do these six specific things. And you know what? While I'm at it, just don't do anything you'd have to hide from me. (laughs) Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Let's just think about that. I'm sure every one of us has something we've done, thought, or said that we would not want people to know about. Things we'd like to keep in the dark, right? Things that if they got exposed would be an embarrassment. Paul just says, don't. Just don't participate. Instead, be the light. And the light will expose those things. I see that happening from time to time, unfortunately, in Christian circles where sexual misconduct has been hidden and protected for far too long. But someone or a group of people stand up for what is right and expose what has been in darkness. It's heartbreaking at times to realize that people we thought were trustworthy, people we thought were godly, actually turned out to be participating in hidden, shameful acts, and it was being hidden by darkness. But God will bring all things to light eventually, either here on earth or in heaven. Exposure is coming. So Paul says, just don't, don't participate, be the light. Paul has repeatedly reminded this audience that they are different. They are different from what they once were. It's another composition clue we have seen before. And this time Paul uses light and darkness as a contrast for the Ephesian believers to differentiate themselves from unbelievers. And he ends with this verse that says, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Now, this is not an exact quote, but it's very similar to several verses in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And the way it's written indicates that it was probably a piece of a hymn or a song that the early church would have known. It's like a perfect little musical summary to be a capstone on this section. Wake up, rise up from your spiritual deadness, and Christ will shine on you. So let's take a step back and try to see this whole section from a bird's eye view. Paul is in his fourth iteration of giving the Ephesian church instructions on how to live. This particular set of instructions is a lot of don't do's, but he starts out with be imitators of God. And honestly, that could be enough. We could spend the rest of our lives learning how to be imitators of God. But Paul, like the excellent teacher, mentor, and pastor that he is, goes further. He wants to make sure that his audience has a solid grasp on what is common in culture, that should not characterize believers. So he lists things like sexual immorality, impurity, and greed as a contrast to God's sacrificial love. 
Then he goes further and says, don't even use vulgar language, foolish talk, or coarse joking, but instead, your words should be focused on thankfulness. And this should be enough instruction to drive his point home. But again, he's a wise teacher, and he knows what they are up against. So he dives further into this and warns them not to be deceived and not to partner up with those who are engaged in activity that has to be hidden because it's shameful and wrong. He's covering a ton of ground here and making sure that no matter what the issue is, and honestly, no matter what the culture or century is, that his readers understand it boils down to if you have to hide it, you shouldn't do it. And if you do it anyway, it will eventually be exposed. The light exposes darkness. God is light. As his children, we are light. So we need to live that way. I hope that even though this section has a lot of negatives, you are encouraged by Paul's words. If you're struggling with some guilt or shame, if you're convicted by what we've read here today, let me remind you of a few verses from chapter two of this letter. All of us formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in offenses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. No matter what you're facing or struggling with or feeling defeated by, be confident in this. But God, who is rich in mercy and love, has made you alive. You are his. Keep walking the walk. Keep learning how to imitate him. Keep taking off the old and putting on the new. Eternity awaits, and he is worth it all. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of The Bible for the Ordinary Life. My name is Alicia Parker. I hope you learned something, and our time together encouraged your personal relationship with God. Be sure to check out my companion website, at www.bibleforttheordinarylife.com or connect with me on Instagram at Bible for the Ordinary Life.